Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you parents have ever broken a promise to your children? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. Uh, My son is on the swim team, or was on the swim team. Yesterday was their last meet, uh, the big big tournament. And um, as a parent, you always want to make sure you get to all your child's games and all your child's sporting events. And um, there was a a home meet that Aiden had this year that um, I had intended to go to. It was his only home meet on the Sterling Middle School team. But unfortunately, I had a previous engagement that I couldn't get out of, and so I missed his only home meet. Now, I was able to go to another meet earlier in the season, and I was able to go to his tournament, but it really bummed me out. It made me feel bad that I was not able to go there to be supporting of him because I really want to make sure that, that I'm there for my children when they're involved in extracurricular activities like, like most of you parents do. And so a lot of times, the, the worst things we can hear from our kids' parents is this, but you promised. We don't like broken promises, do we? A lot of us have maybe been in a relationship where we've been on the recipient end of a broken promise. Somebody has broken the promise that they made to us. I think about all the songs growing up in the 80s, okay? I'm a product of the 80s. You remember the song Promises, Promises? You made me promises, promises, knowing that you'd, that I would believe you made me promises, promises, knowing that you'd never keep. Also, we have this whole culture of a promise ring. Ever heard of a promise ring? It's not quite an engagement ring. It's not that quite official, but when, when a boy loves a girl and wants to show his devotion specifically to that girl, they're not quite engaged yet. They're not quite married yet. He gives her a promise ring that says, I'm going to be promised to you. So, so we have a promise ring. We have songs, promises, promises. Most of you were a product of the 90s, the big men's movement, promise keepers. A lot of you went to the promise keepers movements. And so we've got a lot of things in our culture related to promises. And a lot of us have had broken promises, and a lot of us have broken promises. And what happens a lot of times is that when it comes to our relationship with God, we can feel jaded, we can feel calloused, and we can really begin to bring this baggage into um, our relationship with God of all these broken promises that we've been experiencing. And so we often tend to ask these questions, can God really be trusted? Is God good on his promises is God a faithful God who I can trust like we sang earlier oh no you never let go is God is that true about God does he never let go is God a God of his promises do I truly believe that God is able to do what he's promised and that's where we come for today we come to probably the most important person in the old testament when it comes to faith And the writer of Hebrews spends a lot of time, and so the next few weeks we're going to be looking at this individual. His name is Abraham. Abraham. If you go back, and I'm going to give you a little homework assignment, go back this week and read Genesis 12 through 23. That's the story of Abraham. I don't have time to to tell you the whole story, but if you go back and read that story, you find out that Abraham is a man of faith. Twice in the Bible, he's called a friend of God. 
Three times in the New Testament, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It also says that back in Genesis chapter 15. And so Abraham is the paragon of faith. Abraham is the poster child, if you will, of what it means to live by faith. And in Romans chapter 4, as I was doing study this week, I came across this passage in Romans chapter 4 that I think really defines for us the life of Abraham. So before we get into Hebrews, I want us to look at this passage in Romans. Romans chapter 4, it'll be on your screen. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. This really encapsulates the life of Abraham. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. That's true, authentic faith. That's the big ticket item for this morning. True, authentic faith is that you are fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. That word fully convinced means that you're absolutely persuaded. You are 100% persuaded. There's no doubt. There's no wavering. You've got it settled in your heart and your mind that God is able to do everything that he has promised promised. And that leads me to a lot of questions that I've been struggling with this week and kind of a journey that's taken me on what are the promises of God? If God is faithful to his promises, what has God truly promised us? Before we look at what God has promised us, let's look at the life of Abraham and see what God has promised Abraham and we will see this example of faith in the life of Abraham. So true authentic faith is being fully convinced, fully persuaded, fully assured that God is able to do all that he's promised, that God is an able God. God keeps his promises. God is the ultimate promise keeper. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What I want us to do this morning is explore three particular aspects of the faith of Abraham. Three things that we see in the life of Abraham here, and then we're going to get to the promises that are, that are actually fulfilled for us as believers. So three things. The first thing that we see here in the life of Abraham, faith is evidenced in immediate obedience when you don't have all the answers. Immediate obedience when you don't have all the answers. Now, you don't really get this in your English translations, but if you read the original language and look at the grammar there, it's very interesting how the writer speaks in verse 8. He says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. And the way it's structured, it almost sounds like Abraham is on the move before God's even done telling him what to do. It's as if God's command is still ringing in Abraham's voice. He is obeying while God is commanding him. So there's no lag time. There's no hesitation. Abraham obeys immediately without question, without hesitation, without any type of faltering, without any reservation. He obeys immediately. 
God says, go. Even when it doesn't make sense. He, it was immediate, immediate obedience to the word of the Lord. I love what Martin Luther says about faith. Martin Luther says this. Faith is not knowing where you're going, what you're doing, what you're suffering, but to follow the bare voice of God and be led and driven rather than to drive. Sometimes you just go because it's God's voice that calls you to go. Notice the verbs used here. Abraham obeyed. Abraham went. He went out. These are, these are active words. Remember, faith is not just lip service. Faith is not just saying you believe Jesus. Faith, true faith, is responding to the word of God with action, with concrete action. He went. He obeyed when it didn't make sense. And really, I love this because look at the second part of verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. Didn't know where he was going. God just said, go. You know, Abraham was an interesting character. Do you know that he was a pagan Gentile living in what is modern-day Iraq on the backside of nowhere, and God comes and majorly interrupts Abraham's life? He lived in Ur, the land of Ur. Now, you may not know anything about the land of Ur, but Abraham lived in a town of 300,000 people. So he lived in a big city. There was a ziggurat in the city. A ziggurat's like a big temple shrine to all these false gods. He was in a culture of polytheistic pagan idolatry. And we also know it was a nation of child sacrifices because they had these death pits where they went back and archaeologists found that all these people were buried with the kings and queens in, in human sacrifices. So, so Abraham is living in a pagan idolatrous world. As a matter of fact, Joshua 24.2 says this about Abraham. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham was an idolater. He was a pagan idolater in a world of corruption. And God comes to him and majorly interrupts his life. So as we do every week, as we've been doing through Hebrews, keep your finger in Hebrews 11, but turn back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Keep your finger there because we're going to be kind of be turning back and forth and we don't want to get lost. Genesis chapter 12, to me, is probably the most important chapter in Genesis, if not the most important chapter in the entire Old Testament. At least one of the top chapters there. So Abraham's living in idolatry. He's living in paganism. He's living in modern-day Iraq. He's very prosperous. We know that he has a lot of cattle. He has a lot of servants. He's a prosperous man in his culture of idolatry and paganism. And God comes to him, the voice of God. Genesis chapter 12, let's look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, with, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. There was no GPS systems in that time. No maps. God just comes to Abraham and says, Pagan idolater, go. And when you get there, you'll know that you're there. Now, how many of us would have just gone? 
Immediately, Abraham gets up, takes his family, and goes because God had commanded him. And how old is he? 75 years old. Not your spring chicken, right? Most 75 years old have been retired for 10 years. And God says, go. Make a major life change and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham responds to the voice of God. We find out from Acts chapter 7 what Stephen, when he's preaching that sermon, says about Abraham. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. The Lord of glory showed up to Abraham and said, go. And so true faith is this. When the voice of God comes to you and says, go, you obey with immediate obedience. It is immediate. You don't have all the answers. You may not know all the, all, the, all the things that God's calling you to do, but you just go because God's told you to go. Our small group is reading the book Radical by David Platt. And many of us in that small group are being challenged by what David Platt has been talking about as far as the Americanized version of Christianity versus um, the Bible view of Christianity. And he's really stretched us in our thinking. And he makes a great statement. And a few weeks ago in our small group, we, we talked about this statement that he made. It's an interesting statement. He says this, as a Christian... It would be a grave mistake to come to Jesus and say, let me hear what you have to say, and then I'll decide whether or not I like it. If you approach Jesus this way, you will never truly hear what he has to say. You have to say yes to the words of Jesus before you even hear them. That's the response of Abraham. He said, yes, Lord, and he didn't know where he was going. It was just simply this immediate obedience to the voice of God. Now, there was a time in our life, in our family, where we were on the precipice of having to make a very difficult decision. We were wanting to follow the Lord. It was in the summer of 2004. I keep tripping over this cord. Stay. There you go. Um, I had just graduated from seminary, 2004. And God was really working on my heart. Like, where, where, where are we supposed to go as a family? What are we supposed to be doing? And one of my seminary buddies came to me and said, Hey, Sean, there's this church in outside of Fort Collins in the Laporte area, um, it's been a really rundown church. It's got a bad reputation. We've, we've kind of just disbanded the church. It's been sitting in this empty building for two years. Why don't you go think about planting that church? And so we thought about it. We prayed about it. We really sensed that the Lord was saying, okay, that sounds like something that we need to be obedient in. And so here's the, here's the crisis of faith that Henry Blackaby often talks about. We didn't know a soul. We'd be going to a town where we didn't know anybody, starting a church from scratch, not knowing where our income would come from, not knowing how our family would handle it. But God called us to go, and we were willing to go in the midst of all of that. And so for us, it was a huge crisis of faith. And then, as I've shared this story before, and if afterwards you want to come ask me some questions, God slammed the door on that through some weird spiritual warfare type things. And God redirected us. God said, I wanted to see if you were obedient, but I'm closing the door on that. And just a few days, few days later, I get a call from the search committee here at Emmanuel, and the rest is history. But we were at a point where we were willing to go, and we didn't have all the answers. And sometimes obeying God doesn't make sense. It's, it's scary. Let's just face it. If you're going to obey God, it's scary. It can be unsettling. But when God calls you to go or God calls you to obey, the only worthy response of King Jesus is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You obey with immediate obedience. But what's the second thing we see here from Abraham? Not only does he obey when it doesn't make sense immediately, 
But faith is also evidenced by patient expectation in our true and final home. Patient expectation in our true and final home. Look at verse 9. Back in Genesis. I mean, back in Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews for a moment. Told you to keep your finger there. Go back to Hebrews. Look at verse 9. By faith, or acting on the basis of faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So, so what does Abraham do? He lives in tents. He lives as a, your translation may say temporary resident, sojourner, alien. He, he's, he's, he's basically never putting down roots. He's living in tents. And if you go back and you read the Genesis account, Abraham's always on the move. He's a sojourner in Egypt. He's a sojourner three different times in Canaan. He's never putting down roots. He's living in tents. He's living in tents. And a tent itself is a picture of transient lifestyle. I mean, how many of you want to live in a tent the rest of your life? Some of you live in RVs. That's, that's kind of, you know, a little step up if you have air conditioning. You know, live in an RV the rest of your life. Most of us want what? A home with foundations that we can walk into. We don't want to have to keep moving all the time. But that's what happened to Abraham. But, but notice the stark contrast. What is Abraham looking forward to? What does it say there? Look at verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's the exact opposite of a tent? A city. He's looking forward to a city that has what? Foundations. Foundations. He wasn't going to be a nomad. God had promised him a city, and God himself was going to be the builder, right? Who's the builder of the city? God is the builder. He's the designer and the builder. But the key word there in verse 10 is Abraham was looking forward. He was looking forward. In the original language, it really conveys the idea that he was continually, constantly, ongoingly, if that's a word, looking forward, eagerly expecting, longing, waiting for that city. That city. Now, it's interesting when you think about Abraham. He never did find a permanent home in a city, did he? Did Abraham ever build a house? To the very day of his death, he lived in tents. As a matter of fact, he didn't even get the promise. The day that Abraham died, he had a small plot of land that was enough to bury his wife, Sarah. So Abraham never found a permanent home. As a matter of fact, um, Stephen, when he's continuing to preach this message in Acts chapter 7, says this in verses 4 and 5. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you're now living, yet gave him no inheritance in it. Not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So Abraham never got to realize this city. So what's the city that Abraham's looking forward to? Well, it's none other than heaven. A home in heaven. Heaven's not going to be like a tent. Have you ever gone camping and the tent blows away? Heaven's not going to blow away, okay? It's solid. It's our true and lasting home. Heaven is our real home. No tent stakes, but streets of gold. And God himself is the master builder of this city, and he's going to ensure that all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ will have the inheritance of the city that Abraham was looking forward to. And so here's the implication. Abraham was living as a temporary resident here on planet Earth, living in tents, never putting down roots. We, as Christians, 
are aliens and strangers in this world. We are strangers in a strange land. And by implication, we shouldn't be putting down too many roots on this earth. We shouldn't get too settled into life on this world. We shouldn't be so enamored with all the things that attract us with this world that we, that we get so wrapped up in this life, this world, what we see here, that we're not focused on eternity. You know, what does Paul say in Philippians 3.20? But our citizenship, our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Kent Hughes has said something very interesting in relation to this. He says this, It's a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world. See, Abraham wasn't settled in this world. He was living in tents waiting for the true city. He was living for not this day, but that day. The day when we would be in the ultimate city, whose designer and builder is God. The ultimate city. We see this fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21. It's amazing how the Bible just puts all these things together. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 says this. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Are you waiting for that city? That's where your true home is. Your home's not here. We're just living in tents. Our true home is a city whose designer and builder is God. And so Abraham was looking forward to that. He wasn't so enamored with what was going on in this world. He was looking forward to the promise that God had made him in that ultimate city. What's the third thing we see from Abraham? Number one, he obeyed immediately. Without question, he went. Number two, he was looking forward. But number three... He had a hopeful reliance, a hopeful reliance on a faithful God, a hopeful reliance. Now, this is where it gets really tricky, the text. If you're reading from the NIV, it probably says something totally different than what my translation says. And let me just tell you, the big question in this chapter has caused scholars fits, and it's caused me fits. I've spent a lot of time this week digging up the original languages, translating, doing exegetical studies, consulting commentaries, looking at other, what other pastors are saying, trying to get my head around what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 11. The real question is, is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, talking about Sarah, or is it talking about Abraham? Because my translation makes Sarah the subject. Let me tell you that after much study, I believe the NIV actually has the best translation of this. And so let me just put the NIV up there on the screen for you. Hebrews eleven eleven. By faith, Abraham, even though, uh-oh, they put the ESV. It's supposed to be the Let me just read you what the, what the NIV says. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. The NIV makes Abraham the subject. 
And almost all modern scholars hold to this position, as well as reputable authors like John MacArthur and others. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the technical Greek as to why I'm convinced that it's talking about Abraham and not Sarah, but let me just give you one biological information here, okay? I think the kids have left, so we can talk a little frankly here, okay? The word there that says power to conceive or was able to have children, in the literal Greek, it means to deposit sperm. Now, all of us here are adults enough to know that that's the male portion of the reproductive biology, okay? That can't be applying to Sarah. It's got to be applying to Abraham. Also, if you go back and read Genesis, not once is Sarah elevated as having great faith. As a matter of fact, what does she do? She laughs when God tells her she's going to have a child. She tries to manipulate things by this whole Hagar scenario of trying to speed things up and having Abraham sleep with Hagar. And so Sarah, she may have had faith. We don't know. The Bible never gives a definitive answer whether Sarah was a paragon of faith. So in keeping with this whole issue of Abraham, I think that the text there is talking about Abraham's faith. And what did it say? He considered God faithful to his promise. What did God promise Abraham? Let's go back to Genesis 12. Keep your hand on 11 of Hebrews 11. Go back to Genesis 12. God promises Abraham seven, count them. There's no, there's no surprise. There's no, uh, there's seven is the perfect number. What are the seven promises that God gives to Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 2? Seven huge promises. Number one, I will make you a great nation. Number two, I will bless you. Number three, I will make your name great. Number four, you will be a blessing. Number five, I will bless those who bless you. Number six, him who dishonors you I will curse. And number seven, which I think is the most important, all the nations or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now what's unbelievable about this? How old is Abraham? Seventy-five years old. And his wife is barren. Okay, you don't have to be a scientific genius to figure out it ain't happening. Having children, having posterity, having, having offspring is not going to happen. But God believed Abraham, or Abraham believed God was faithful to his promise. Now, one of the former presidents of Moody Bible Institute once gave this definition of optimism. Are you ready? Optimism. Optimism is when an 85-year-old man marries a 35-year-old woman and moves into a 12-room house next to an elementary school. For Abraham, it was more than optimism. It was a settled reliance. It was a full conviction. Notice what the text says back in Hebrews chapter 11. He considered God faithful. Strong word in the original language. He considered it. He thought about it. He pondered it. It's, it's not just blind faith. Hopefully you realize that Christianity is not just blind faith. I'm not calling you to believe in something that's unreasonable. Yes, it's impossible, but we are called to believe in God because he is God, and God is faithful to his promises. He knew that God was faithful to do what God had promised. Now, I've let people down many times in my life, and I'm sure you've let people down in your life, and I'm going to let you down again. So if you're expecting a perfect pastor that's never going to let you down, I'm sorry, I'm not him. And you're going to let people down, you're going to be let down by people. But let me just stand before you and say this with all of my heart. Jesus Christ has never once let me down. And all of his promises have either come true or they will come true because God who said it promised it, and he is the ultimate promise keeper. You can count on the promises of God. He will never let you down. In verse 12 here in Hebrews 11, is almost like the exclamation point of God's faithfulness. Yeah, right, God. You're thinking, Abraham, I'm, and later on in the story, he's, he's like 100. I'm 100. 
My wife's way past childbearing age. She's barren. And you're promising me, you promised me offspring that's as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. You got to be kidding, God. Look at verse 12. Therefore, why? Because God is faithful. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. God basically said, Abraham, I'm fulfilling it. Those promises that I made to you in Genesis chapter 12, they've come true today. Think about how many Israelites we have today because of Abraham. If you talk to a Jewish person today, you have Abraham to think of that. If you're a Christian today, you're part of Abraham's offspring. It's not just the Israelites or those of Jewish descent. As a matter of fact, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. That comes through Christ. Let me read to you what Romans chapter 4 says about Abraham and about us. Romans 4.22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who has delivered us up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are part of that offspring. We are part of the sands that are as numerable on the seashore and the stars in the heaven because we are the true children of Abraham because of the promise that God gave to him that all the nations would be blessed through him, eventually through Jesus Christ. Now these are the promises that are given to Abraham. These are the faith of Abraham. He obeyed immediately when it didn't make sense. He was looking forward with a patient expectation to that ultimate city. And number three, he had this hopeful reliance on the promises of God. And it all comes under this huge banner, God is faithful to do what he's promised. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do all that he has promised? You know, I grew up singing hymns, like, like the great hymn that we sang this morning, How Great Thou Art. And sometimes I have these hymns ringing in my ears when I'm driving or I'm in the shower or I'm doing household chores. And, and one of the hymns that just kind of comes into my head sometimes is, Standing on the promises of God. You remember that one? Standing on the promises of God, my King. Through eternal ages I let his praises ring. I'll read it to you. I won't sing it to you. Glory in the highest. I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. It's very repetitive, but it's good. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When, he, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see. Perfect, present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. What a great hymn. Standing on the promises of God. And as I've been thinking about this passage of Scripture, the promises of God. And I've been thinking about this hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. And all this thing has just been crashing into my life. What are the promises of God? That was great for Abraham, but what about you and me here today? What has God promised us? Now, the Bible talks about numerous promises that God has given us. But let me just give you three promises that I hope you walk out of here today energized from, knowing that God has given you a promise I promise, first of all, God has promised you, if you're a Christian, God has promised you the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What greater gift can you have than God himself, the Holy Spirit living inside of you? It's a promise. John 14, 16 through 17, the words of Jesus. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. He will be in you. What a great promise that Jesus says is that based upon my death, burial, and resurrection, when I go back up to heaven, I'm going to promise you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and he's going to live in you, dwell in you forever to never leave you and forsake you. What a great promise. Luke 24, 29, or 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What's the promise? It's the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that is us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Ephesians 1. 13 and 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our salvation until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God has promised you himself to live in you forever. What a great promise. The Holy Spirit in you. But in addition to just the promise of the Holy Spirit, secondly, God promises to give us power. Not just to live a a half-hearted life, but a powerful life through the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Notice that 2 Peter 1, 3-4 gives us this great verse about God's promise of power. His divine power has granted to us some things, right? No. Read it carefully. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great, what? Promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. God's power, his divine power, has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. That's a promise. A promise from God himself is that you can have the power to live the Christian life. You can have the power not to sin. You can have the power to witness. You can have the power to live a fruitful life in the Spirit because God has promised to you power through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, and I think this is where Abraham was, the ultimate promise that God gives us, and this may be so basic that we miss it, eternal life. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. The ability to live with him forever. Let me just give you some verses here that speak about God promising us eternal life. Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, thank you, Jesus, promised before the ages began. What does God promise before the ages began? Eternal life. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has what? Promised to those who love him. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then what greater way can 1 John 2.25 say it than this? And this is the promise he's made to us, eternal life. You've got the promise of the Holy Spirit to live in you. You've got the promise of God's power available to you. And you've got the promise of eternal life awaiting you. And here's the ultimate. Here's where it gets really exciting. It all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, awesome passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians 1.20, here's what it says. 
For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen for God, for his glory. Amen. How can God give you all these promises? Because of Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus guarantees that all of God's promises are yes, not no. They are yes. And so we can say amen. What does amen mean? So be it. Praise the Lord. It's a done deal. It's as if God put the exclamation point at the end of the sentence and said, every promise I have for you is settled because of Jesus Christ. All their promises find their yes in Christ alone. So let me make this very practical this morning and ask you some questions. You look at, you know, when you actually study these characters in Hebrews chapter 11, you, you, you start to struggle. I hope you struggle. I'm struggling. Because you, you look at what God is calling them to do. And you look at Abraham. I mean, Abraham got up and left. No GPS, no map. God just said go, and he went. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Maybe, maybe these will land where you are this morning. Is there an area in your life this morning where you need to obey immediately in something that God is calling you to do? Maybe you've been disobedient. You've put, in, you've put off obedience because you're waiting for a better situation. You're waiting for a different answer. You're waiting for something better to come along. And God has clearly said, this is what you are to do. No hesitation, no question, no wavering. You obey. So maybe for some of us here this morning, God has clearly called you to do something. And, and are you obeying with that immediately? You see, the only worthy response to Jesus is, yes, Lord, even before he asks you what you're to do. In addition, maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're putting down tent stakes into this world. You're so focused upon this world, you're so focused on building your own empire here that you're not seeing your life as transient waiting for that day. In other words, you're not a happy camper, you're a selfish consumer. I want to be a happy camper, right? You're camping here. We're just camping on earth. We're not consuming. We're not building. We're not waiting for a city here. We're waiting for the city there. Maybe you're not content to store up your treasures in heaven, but you're storing up everything here. Your life is focused here. Everything's about here. Everything is about putting down roots here. But maybe you're just here today, and you just need to know God's faithful to his promises. Maybe you're, you're, you've come into this place, and you've got a mountain of worry. I mean, I know what's going on in a lot of your lives. You come in here today, and, and life has just hit you hard. You're struggling. You're dealing with stuff. You're not sure about the future. You have to make some hard decisions. You've come into this place, and, and, and I'm not calling you to do anything. Maybe you just need to come to this place and hear Jesus whisper in your ear, I'm faithful to keep every promise I've made to you because every promise of God is yes in me. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe some of you just need to hear that this morning. That God is faithful to keep every promise he's made. He's able. He's faithful. In the end, it all comes back to Jesus. Will you say, yes, Lord, before he even asks you to do it? The only worthy response to King Jesus is yes, Lord. Let's pray. questions for evaluation this morning in your life 
Is there an area that you need to obey immediately? Number two, are you setting down roots in this world as opposed to looking for the world to come? Number three, are you relying upon the utmost faithfulness of the God who's able to do all that he's promised? I want you just to spend a few moments this morning just in prayer. Asking the Lord to do a work in your heart. And I'm just going to say this. If you're serious about following Jesus, what you hear from him in the next few moments may be very scary. May be very unsettling. But let me just encourage you, that's the way it's supposed to be. When God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Die to self. Spend just a few moments this morning in prayer. Seeking the face of your Savior. wish I was like Abraham and had the faith to just go and obey without question but Lord you know the sin of my heart and the disobedience and the rebellion that often comes when we want to be comfortable we want to do our own thing I am so thankful Father that by sovereign grace you interrupted Abraham's life you come and interrupt our lives and you give us the grace and the power and the Holy Spirit to be able to do what you called us to do. You've not left us powerless. It would be very disturbing, God, if you told us to go and didn't give us the power to do it. So you've given us the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the power, the promise to be able to obey. Give us the faith right now, Lord, to be able to do that. Well, Lord, I don't know what you're calling people to do in this room this morning. I don't know what you're saying to each individual person. But Holy Spirit, I trust that you are you're penetrating hearts even as we speak. I just pray that, that we all obey. We're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers also. And Lord Jesus, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you personally, they've never trusted you fully for salvation, they've never forgiven, asked for forgiveness of sins, they've never uh, confessed you as Savior and Lord of their life, I would pray that today would be the day they turn from their sin, they repent of that sin, and they do a 180 degree turn and turn towards you, Jesus, in faith. They receive you as Lord of their lives. Mess us up this morning, God. Shake us up. Do it for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.